Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. Walter Storholt here with David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors with an office in Overland Park. We're online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, I'm a little nervous. I know you're going to be asking me some questions today. I'm going to have to be on my game. I like it when the spotlight is on you, Walter. <laughs> we got this uh, retirement literacy quiz, which frankly, the Americans that took it didn't do so well at, but I, my confidence level is incredibly high. What, what's my number to beat? To what what was out. the average uh, response or the pass rate or, you know, <laughs> what can I be better than X, um, X percent of the population? Yeah, so I was reading, I was rereading an article out of Barron's over the weekend, and it was talking about this um, literacy quiz, which Walter's going to put a link into our um, show notes on this. So I hope that all of our listeners will go out and take this quiz too. It's 37 questions, and it was given to more than 1,500 Americans aged 50 to 75 that have at least 100,000 in household assets, not including their primary homes. And in order to pass, they only needed to get 23 questions right, or 60%. But the average score was 42%. And uh, this, uh, this group, the Center for Retirement Income, the Ameri- American College Center for Retirement Income, did the same similar survey in 2014 and 2017, and it produced similar results. So as you're listening to this, I hope you get energized to go out and take the test yourself and say, well, where am I? Just full and fair disclosure, I took the test this morning, and I scored 34 of 37, so 92%. I was a little disappointed, frankly, that I didn't get all 37 correct. That takes a little pressure off of me, knowing that you didn't get a perfect score, so I'll feel okay if I miss one or two. And Walter, I'm not asking you any of the questions that I missed. Oh, good. That seems fair. (laughs) (laughs) The teacher always has to throw out one or two questions that, you know, even she couldn't have gotten right. (laughs) Yes. The ones I missed were basically about Medicare. And that's why I don't consult with my clients about Medicare. I know a lot about it, but I don't know enough to actually tell them what to do. And that's why I outsource that to another person who just does Medicare. So anyway, I think we're going to have some fun here today. I think we're we're going to do eight questions and just see how you do. But hopefully each of these questions will be a little bit of a, um, of a learning opportunity for our listeners. So I say we get started. Let's do it. So I don't have to do, we're not doing all 30-some questions today, just eight for me that I've got to try and, try and get past. All right. Just eight for you. And our listeners can play along. We'll see if the listeners, can the listeners beat Walt? That's the, that's the game today. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I don't know why uh, I added that extra pressure to myself. but <laughs> Okay. Walter, assume, let's assume you have a well-diversified portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% bonds okay. that was worth 100000 bucks in retirement, just for round numbers. Based on historical returns in the United States, the most you can afford to withdraw each year in order to have a 95% chance that your assets will last 30 years is, and this is multiple choice. So, you got a you got a hundred thousand dollar portfolio. It's fifty percent stock, fifty percent bonds, and you want it to last for thirty years with a high probability. You can either take out two thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, or eight thousand dollars a year, so that you have 
almost certainly it's going to last for 30 years. I'm too lazy to do the actual math, so I'm just going to say this sounds a whole lot like that old 4% rule you've talked about before on the show, and I can do very easily the math of 4% of 100,000 being 4,000, B? Walter, that is exactly right. Right. Common sense can bail us out sometimes. (laughs) You are a smart man. So the 4% rule is... Is um, oh, I don't know, probably in the 60s it was created by somebody in my business. And it basically said if you have 60% stock, 40% bonds, but back then bonds were yielding 5%. And so that's why when you, when, sometimes you might read in the, in the financial press these days that the 4% rule isn't even good enough anymore, that you might need to take out less than that. Or you might have to have more than 60% of your retirement port- portfolio in stocks. So anyway, you're exactly right. The 4% rule is one that is still pretty much used in our business as a way to give a high probability to a retiree that they're not going to run out of money. All right. I got at least one right, so I know I won't be blanked. I feel good about that. So number two, a 65-year-old male in the United States has an average life expectancy of approximately an additional 10 years. 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. I think it's an extra... I feel like it's in between 15 and 20 years. I'm I, Okay, I think it's an extra 20 years. I think rounding up was the best idea, so okay. yes. So I, was most thinking overall, life ex- <laughs> I was thinking overall life expectancy at first, but then there was a trick question. It was someone who's already gotten to 65, I remember being a little more. Exactly. So when you're born in America and you're male, you get about 74 years. But once you make it through all the bad stuff that can happen uh, in, your, in your early years and teen years and etc., well, once you're 65, you're going to live to 64, uh, uh, 84 or 85 years. And females are going to live to, say, 86 or 87. So it kind of averages out a little closer, male versus female, when you get to be 65. So, Walter, you are two for two. Feeling pretty good at this point, David. I would think so. This one, quarter, I am quarter of the way there. I'm going to convince you're going to nail this one too, okay? Because you're well read, so you know what a required minimum distribution is, and so do our listeners, because we talk about them pretty often. If you retired in 2020 or later, what age do you have to start required minimum distributions? Is it 59 and a half, age 65? age 70 and a half, or age 72. This is the new change, right? 72? It is. You got it. The CARES Act. If this were the 2019 Retirement Income Literacy Survey, that would have been a different answer, right? Exactly. That would have been 70 and a half. (laughs) But for some reason, Congress said, ah, you know what? Let's round it up to 72. And so um, if you you turned 70 and a half (laughs) in 2019... Well, you have to take required distributions all along the way. But if you turn, if you didn't, if you weren't 70 and a half until 2020, then you don't have to do anything until you're 72. So, Walter, three for three. We got a little true false coming at you right now, and I think my confidence level is growing with every question. Mine as well. Let's hope it doesn't get overinflated, and you're going to throw me a curveball as we approach the end. But a uh, quick comment on the half ages. I mean, yeah. come come on, right? <laughs> like, how old were you when you stopped counting the half age? 
Wasn't exactly. it like who thought that was a good idea in the first place? Once you got to five, didn't you just start going with the whole numbers there? Like when you were three and a half, it was cute. Like I'm three and a quarter or three and a half, and you know, like that. That, that was cute <laughs> when kids are like that. But then once you get to a certain age, you're like, all right, that's enough of the half ages. And then we bring it back at retirement. <laughs> I know. I don't get it. Congress. There you go. Got to make it a little more complicated than it should be. Okay. True or false? A retiree who's working part-time can generally contribute to an IRA and or a Roth IRA. Uh, true. They're still working, right? They are. But if we'd have asked that question two years ago, the answer would not have been true. Oh. Because uh, the SECURE Act, which was passed right at the end of 2019, signed in early 2020, that's what allowed you to continue to do IRA contributions. So before that, you could always put a Roth IRA contribution if you had earned income, even if you were working into your 80s, but you couldn't do an IRA contribution. Now you can. So I'm not sure necessarily why you would. I would think by that time, your income is... Anyway, you you would have a choice between a Roth IRA and an IRA, and um, you can make a choice that's best for you based on your current tax situation. But yes, IRAs or Roths, regardless of age, as long as you have earned income. I will say I wasn't 100% confident in that answer, but... You know, I I, I couldn't chose correctly. (laughs) You sounded rock solid on that. I need to embrace that, right? Like, you may be wrong, but at least be confident going into the answer. Don't let them see the fear in your eyes. That's why we do podcasts. That's why we do podcasts, yeah. (laughs) I I can hide it behind the voice a little bit, perhaps. (laughs) All right, you're killing it here. Here we go. Traditional Medicare will cover which of the following medical expenses? Routine dental, physical exams, hearing aids, all of the above. I would say this is probably my weakest area in terms of the financial planning world. I'm going to go with all of the above. There you go. And that is a super common answer. Unfortunately, It's the wrong answer. I had to get one wrong so that people didn't think I was cheating, right? You did. And this is a good one because this is really tricky. So that's where Medicare supplements or maybe a Medicare Advantage program comes in to scoop up routine dental. But it's a choice. You pick up your dental. You pick up your hearing. You pick up your eyes. Maybe yes, maybe no. You get to choose. But but they always, Medicare always picks up your physical exams. Gotcha. So... The trick in the question really is traditional Medicare. So if they had just exactly. said Medicare, then that would kind of include parts A and B if you were just talking about Medicare. But because they said specifically traditional Medicare, part of the reason, at least. Exactly. So you got to okay. buy something extra to get the extras. Okay. I was just being optimistic. I, I was hoping all those things were covered. But. You know, Walter, by the time you get to Medicare, it may cover all that stuff. It, it'll, be, it'll be different. We know that, right? <laughs> it'll be different for sure. Okay. All right. I had to get one wrong to keep it realistic, so now I'll get you back did. to my winning ways momentarily. So here's another one for you. It's also about those after-65 expenses. Nationally, who pays the majority of long-term care expenses provided in nursing homes? Medicare, private payment by individuals, Medicaid, or insurance purchased by individuals. Ooh, insurance purchased by individuals. So that is not the right answer. I I told you early on I was not going to ask you any questions that I missed, but this one I actually missed. I said, (laughs) I, (laughs) 
I didn't do that on purpose. I you just... got me, David. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the answer was private payments by individuals. But the answer is actually Medicaid, which surprised me because it's pretty, it's pretty hard to qualify for Medicaid because you have to basically be, you have to spend down all of your assets and leave your spouse, if you have one, with a very limited amount of assets before Medicaid will pay for anything. But nationally, Medicaid pays for the majority of long-term care expenses provided in nursing homes. Hmm. There you have it. Bit of a shocking statistic, yeah. Yes. I don't feel bad so, about getting that one wrong. No, then. that was a... Yeah. I thought that was way out of line for them to put that on this simple little survey. Yeah. Very but interesting, anyway, though. That was one of the three I missed. Okay, here's the next one. And I think you're going to nail this one. Nationally, who provides the majority of long-term care services? Family members, nursing homes, assisted living facilities, or hospitals? Uh, I got to say, oh, I mean, I, I want to say assisted living. Should I continue to think about the question a little bit more, though? Because David paused a little bit there and didn't quite jump in to say, you're right. I think you would ponder it just another minute. Uh, it wouldn't. I wouldn't go further down the line of nursing homes, would we? Would we go back the other direction to probably private individuals? That is exactly right. So family members <laughs> provide the majority of the care. Why? Well, it doesn't say, but my gut tells me and my reading tells me it's because it's so incredibly expensive to have long-term care, to have assisted living, to have nursing care, that the vast majority of Americans, you know the stats, Walter, uh, uh, half of Americans don't have any retirement savings at all. That's a good point. And I think I think this is a great illustration of why I would initially lean toward the assisted living side, because you are constantly talking on the show. I mean, we're, we're so well versed in talking about preparation. I know that your clients are well prepared for how to handle those issues. I forget about the large portion of the population that's not doing that proper planning when it comes to that item. So I probably have a very inflated view of how many people are ending up in you know, decent situations and in assist, good assisted living places and um, getting that outside help, forgetting that there are a lot of people who go in with no plan and, uh, and do have to just rely on family members to you know, get through whatever the ailments and issues are. Yeah. Or I'm thinking about just in our last podcast, one of our listener questions was from a lady who I think it might have been Vic Victoria, maybe. She was talking about that their plan is that they're going to take care of each other into their old, old age if somebody needs help. Well, that would be normal in America until a family member can't do that. And then maybe one of their kids takes over or maybe they start using Medicaid. How do they define, and you may not know the answer to the question, but how would you define long-term care services in a situation where family members are taking care? Does, it, does this have to trigger the daily activities, the two out of X daily two activities out of six. thing? Okay. You're exactly right. So it, it, once you can't do two out of the six activities of daily living, then that triggers what are called long-term care services. And so those are basically the first six things you do or, or can't do when you get out of bed in the morning, starting with getting out of bed in the morning. And so if you can't do two of those six, then you qualify for long-term care. You probably need somebody to come in and help you, help you eat, help you bathe, help you dress, that kind of stuff. Or you go to some living place where they help you do that because you live there. 
Well, the common sense that helped me in question one has faded as the quiz has gone on here, David. But we have one more, right? Can't we end strong here? We do. You can end strong. And I'm actually feeling quite confident (laughs) on this one. So, Walter, let's say you work for a large public company that has a 401k plan and it goes bankrupt. The company goes bankrupt. The question is this. The employees are either at risk of losing their 401k benefits because trust assets will pay creditors first, or at no risk of losing their 401k benefits because the plan is outside of claims of creditors, or only at risk of losing their 401k benefits if the plan document says the creditors have the rights to the trust assets, or only at risk of losing their 401k benefits if a judge decides that creditors should be paid first. I'm pretty sure it's B. I'm no. pretty sure you're right. Oh, good. I was going to say, because I feel like we'd hear a lot more negative stories if it was one of those other ones. Oh, yeah. If your 401k uh, assets were available to the creditors of your company, yeah, well, that would not end well. <laughs> that would not end well. You would have. <laughs> the only people in that situation that would be happy would be the lawyers. Yes, yes. So, and that's so. different from your pension. If your if your company goes belly up and your and then your pension and those pension assets could be at risk, and then there's there's government insurance that steps in by us, the taxpayer, and pays you usually up to maybe sixty six percent of what you used to get from your company. But with four hundred one k, your four hundred one k assets are separate and apart from any of the claims of the creditors of the company you work for. I like it. That one sound, that one felt right. You threw me a little off when you, there were all those other ones that came afterward, but I was trying one, to read them so that they were very seductive, very attractive. They were. And I was you like, did well, not rise to the bait. There's some little caveat coming here, but no. no <laughs> felt felt good about that one. You stayed yes. strong. That was that was impressive. Thank you. All right, so we ended on a strong note. I'm glad. I'm glad. We did. So so I, I was hoping that this would be kind of fun, and it was fun for me, and I think you had a little bit of fun with it, too. I did, yeah. It, I'm, I'm going to go take the rest of the quiz when we're, when we're done recording, because I want to see Good. I, I hope you do, and I think, I mean, I'm going to guess that the vast majority of our listeners are going to be vastly superior to the results of this nationwide survey of 50 to 75-year-olds. But I'd encourage you to take it, and, and then I'd encourage you... Not necessarily to, to gloat on your right answers, but study your wrong answers, answers and say, is there something that I need to know before I go another That's spoken year like to a true retirement? teacher, David. It's spoken like a true teacher. Review but those wrong it, answers or else you won't learn anything. <laughs> use it as a learning opportunity for yourself because you don't get many do-overs in life, especially with your money and your retirement planning. Absolutely. Go check out the quiz. It's actually, this is not one of those silly online quizzes that's got a bunch of ads and you got to click through a bunch of pictures and they're silly questions. Like it's a legitimate 34 question quiz. Like you can go through it relatively quickly. It's not going to take you forever to take it, but this actually got some challenging, like good questions that make you think a little bit and really test your knowledge as hopefully uh, was displayed on the show today with, you know, even I have to admit, I missed a few there. I will say, I think all of mine missed were in the Medicaid, Medicare world, which definitely I, I feel would be my weakness yep. versus the financial planning well. side. Yeah, it probably is for a lot of people until you need it, right? Until you, <laughs> until you get really close to needing it, then you start to become an expert on it. So exactly. uh, there's probably But it does little... cover a nice wide variety. You've, you've taken a little look at it. It covers a nice it wide swath of the... Um, 
of the uh, retirement, investment, and uh, healthcare business that you need to know as you're getting closer. So uh, hopefully it's, it's uh, of significant interest to our listeners. Again, link to this survey, to this quiz is in the description or the show notes section of our show today. Click on that, follow the link, and you can go take this quiz. And um, it, uh, I, I definitely encourage people to do it. And then if it brings up any questions about your financial plan, your financial life, some things that you want to dive in a little bit further with David about, get some more education on a particular topic, reach out. Don't hesitate to do so. 913-317-1414 is the number. 913-317-1414, or go online again to coveryourassetskc.com, and you can get in touch with David through the website as well. David, appreciate you putting me under the gun on the show today. That was fun. And, uh, we'll hey, I had, a great, I had a great time, Walter, and I think yeah. if we get a lot of really good comments, we might just do this type of format a lot more often. I just better g- keep studying and listening carefully <laughs> to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast so I can learn. <laughs> But I like it. This was fun. Uh, See what other quizzes we can find out there to take on the show live. Uh, Let us know how you did on the quiz, and we'll talk to you again next time right back here on the Cover Your Assets KC Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.